It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schollenberg, along with Rachel Oyster, the co-chairs for Democrats Abroad here in Canada's capital region in Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hello, David. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm fighting a bit of a cold, truthfully. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you know, even in the air era of COVID, every now and then a cold comes along. Oh, yeah, it does. Although we are all still washing our hands and not breathing on each other. So yes. I'm sorry that a virus found you and I hope it passes away soon. Uh, oh, well, that's lovely. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. Thank you. No cold, but I just got my flu shot. <laughs> yes. Well, I got my flu shot too. And, and I know they say the flu shot doesn't give you the flu, but... The timing was oddly suspicious. So, you oh, know. interesting. Oh, yes. it made me really sick last year, but this year just a little bit of muscle soreness. Yeah, nah, I think yeah. conspiracy theories. Who is with us today, Rachel? <laughs> today, we continue our tour of the global caucuses, um, and we are talking today to Bruce Murray and Sue Alksness, the chair and vice chair of Democrats Abroad's Global Progressive Caucus. So, welcome, Bruce and Sue. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks, David and Rachel. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you. Before we plunge into the Progressive Caucus, what it's about and what you're doing, um, we have a couple of questions we like to ask our guests. The first being, what state do you vote out of? And the second being, where do you live now and what brought you there or keeps you there? Well, I am voting in Connecticut. And I live just outside of Toronto in the suburbs on the west side of the city, which folks <laughs> from the Toronto area will understand is important. Uh, it's very infrequent that a person <laughs> switches from one end of the city to the other. You're either a West Ender or an East Ender. Oh, only Toronto people would find that important. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you know, we find little things to fight about. <laughs> But you are a confirmed West Ender. Yes, by marriage. <laughs> All right. Yes, it's, I guess that's the last question. What keeps you in the West End of Toronto? Uh, yep, that's it. Can, yes, can we pry? Did you did you get get married uh, before you came to Canada or after? I did. I did. Yes. Uh, while I was in uh, university, I met uh, met a Canadian and married him. And uh, then about 20 years ago with two preschoolers, we moved up, moved up to Canada and uh, part of partly for family reasons. But we also uh, really loved um, that healthcare was available here uh, universally to everyone and uh, that there was the opportunity for public education in French and um, that there was um, a lot less gun violence up here. Mm -hmm. Now, I think this is a new one, though. So he, he was in the United States and you followed him to Canada? So he was a Cana he is a Canadian and came down to, to study uh, to study. So that's we met at a U.S. university and then and then lived there for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And then eventually switched uh, from Connecticut, which is the last place, last place we lived up here to the Toronto region. Right. I think David's right, though. Most of the people we've talked to recently, if they are Americans who married Canadians, they came here to Canada to school and met their spouses here. So you uh -huh. are another Another, uh, another expression. Of, yeah. Another version. That's the word. Yes. Right, well, I, I try to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and let Bruce, uh, you should have a turn to answer the same questions. Sue and I have a, a lot in common. I voted in the state of Illinois in the land of Lincoln <laughs> and grew up in uh, Minnesota. And uh, I, 
left the United States in 1992 and came to Austria, Vienna, where I have been for the last 30 years for over half of my adult life. And I've been a professor for the University of Illinois in German studies, and I've directed the Illinois programs in Vienna for that entire time. What I mean about uh, having something in common is that uh, what Sue really likes about Canada, I also really like about Austria, the, the quality of life. It's been a great place to raise a child, and we don't regret it at all. So is it, is it love that keeps you there, or is it work that keeps you there? Loving my work and working my love. <laughs> uh, I feel like we better get her on the podcast and hear yes. a little more about that. <laughs> so where is, is, your, is your spouse from Austria or is your spouse American? She always says that she's a Hoosier from Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh. and a healthcare professional who for about the last two years has been uh, contact tracing up to 16 hours a day. Wow. <laughs> That's a big. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you to her. Yes, yes indeed. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we should talk about the Progressive Caucus. Yes. The reason we are convened today. So we'd like to know a little about how the caucus formed and what you're focusing on and how long each of you has been involved with it. Well, I guess I'll jump in on how it got started in the fateful year of 2016. <laughs> there were a lot of people uh, around the world who got pretty excited about the presidential candidacy of uh, Senator Sanders. Sanders, And uh, I was one of them. Bruce, you were one of them too, right? That is true. And uh, when we saw the outcome of the general election in 2016, uh, there were there were a lot of people who had been supportive supporters of his campaign um, who were motivated to get more involved in Democratic Party activities internally and get involved in the party and look at the presidential primary process, how the party um, how the party selects candidates, uh, the superdelegates um, role. And I was one of those people. And so uh, so I ran for a position with Democrats Abroad uh, Canada and um, met up at the, f- the first global meeting of DA that I attended in the spring of 2017, met up with a number of people who felt it was time for a progressive caucus within Democrats Abroad. And over the following months, we... Um, put together terms of reference and uh, started a steering committee and activities for the, for the caucus. So was it all Bernie Sanders people? No, no, no. The idea was um, that it was open to, you know, it's open to all members of Democrats abroad. You don't have to support any particular candidates. Um, It's really around, uh, it's really around ideas of um, wanting policies that, serve the interests of everyday Americans that get big money out of politics, that tries to um, fight against corruption in politics. Um, uh, There's a lot of folks who really care deeply about anti-militarism and anti-war movements. And uh, a lot of folks in the caucus want to see progress happen, happening more quickly than, uh, than we, we might think the rest of, the party is comfortable with, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. 
I'll jump in at this point and say yeah, that uh, in one sense, uh, we feel as though we represent all Democrats abroad. And we uh, are really eager to recall that we do have uh, working families and working class roots in the Democratic Party. And we want to uh, push the envelope with uh, many of the things, the uh, issues and the values that we all share, but uh, sometimes uh, forget a little bit. Also, because right now it seems like there's so much work to do. We're uh, trying as best we can to collaborate with other caucuses and to look for uh, the issues that can be prioritized that need serious attention right now. And this week, for example, that means that we hope that we really, really can get to passing the Build Back Better Act. Right. Um, I want to come back to what you just said, but we should also give you a chance to tell us what led you into the Progressive Caucus and, in fact, the chair position. My story is uh, similar to, to Sue's uh, in 2016. Going into 2017 in Democrats abroad Austria, there was an annual general meeting with new elections, and there was a big turnover on the executive committee. And a lot of us came in motivated uh, by uh, progressive policies and especially by uh, the presidency we were hoping would end as soon as possible. So for the last... Uh, four years, many of us in Democrats abroad, Austria, were working on that. I, of course, as a German studies person, was the DA Austria Council, mm. and we managed 2018 to win back uh, the House, and at that time, uh, I also was upping my ante. I had just retired, and I went uh, to the Midwest uh, wondering what happened in 2016 in some of those key states of Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And I rode my bicycle from Madison, Wisconsin to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to get out the vote. At that time, Sue and uh, Gordon Gall, uh, who were co-chairs at the time, helped put together a video for me that I used on the road to uh, help uh, people understand what we were doing. And and I volunteered at Democratic Party headquarters. And uh, after I came back to Austria, I then began working more with Dem Democrats abroad, the Global Progressive Caucus. And uh, this year, uh, having left my also my DPCA voting representative position and having cycled out of the council position in Democrats abroad Austria, I decided that I wanted to focus more on making sure that uh, the new Biden-Harris presidency was going to be as progressive, as big and bold as possible. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The video that you mentioned, is there a place people can see that? Is it online still? Oh, it's super short. It's just uh, uh, saying hi and wishing Bruce the best. Bruce, what was the name uh, of your bike tour? Okay. What was it called? It was the Midwest Midterm Progressive Bikeathon, an experience I will never, ever forget. 800 miles. Wow. The Progressive Bikeathon. <laughs> That's wonderful. There's still a, a really great uh, website associated with that that has uh, lots of images and a kind of blog and also a playlist that I really like. <laughs> 
sounds like such fun. Good for you. Bruce has introduced uh, songs to, to start and sometimes end our meetings with the Progressive Caucus. And so we've we've put out a call to our members to please suggest songs. And uh, <laughs> it's just great to start with, you know, start with something to pump you up or something to calm you down or give you hope, help you carry on. It's, uh, it's really been a great new tradition that I love. Can you name a couple you've used <laughs> yes, just for curious. fun? Sue just did name one. Our last uh, monthly members meeting started off with uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash carrying on. Mm-hmm. That Lovely. Great harmony of that song so this is this is songs from all, all sorts of eras that uh people just may not have heard or, or need to be made aware of anytime anytime and we're looking for suggestions so you know if there's anybody on the <laughs> podcast who knows lots of songs by any chance <laughs> there, i think there, I, there could be one or two <laughs> <laughs> we'd love some we'd love some hairy suggestions <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> but I want to come back. <laughs> I want to come back to something Bruce said a little earlier. You're looking at pushing the envelope, you said, on the values and issues we share. And Sue named a whole list of values and issues that yes. concern you. So what are you doing to push the envelope on those? Uh, I'd like to take that one. And I've always said, I'll put a plug in, but I, I've learned that the modern way of saying it is I'm going to shout out for something. And uh, we also have a Facebook page and we have an issues advocacy team that is building right now. And uh, the members of that team, each one selects one issue to follow. And then they post once weekly in our Facebook page. And right now, that means that Mondays are voting rights day in ProDA Facebook. And on Tuesdays, we have student loan justice featured. On Wednesday, we're collaborating also with uh, Reparations Task Force and its leader, Antar Keith, and he posts each uh, Wednesday. And out in Japan, uh, Farid Benamor, who just moved from Switzerland to Kyoto, is uh, now posting once weekly on uh, media and uh, internet justice. And I am now just taking Fridays. In uh, Austria, there's a big movement called, in Europe actually, called Fridays for Future. And it's a climate uh, change mitigation movement of young people like the Sunrise Movement in the United States. And I've decided that I want to take Fridays to post on climate change mitigation and what kind of progress we're making and need to make there. That's such a yeah. creative idea. Are you yeah. getting good good response to those issues specific post days of the post days of the week? I don't even know what you call them. The, the <laughs> student loan justice uh, posts are really uh, really popular, and people people are engaged engaged mm -hmm. heavily around that. I think mm -hmm. um, I think that's an area where. I mean, a lot of a lot of people care deeply about that. They either know either are people you know, struggling with that debt, which you can, yeah. you can never, uh, you know, it's not subject to bankruptcy. You owe that money forever. And the interest just keeps piling, piling on. We yeah. have uh, 43 million people who are working on their student debt. And the amount of money right now is $1.8 trillion. Wow. Yeah. I think a lot of people in whatever we would call the older generations, 
aren't really, unless they have a child who's struggling with it, aren't really aware of how it changed from when they were in school. Because it's become increasingly inhumane, I think, that whole system. It used to be a benefit, and now it's an, you know, a weight around your neck. Yep. In my state uh, of Illinois, Senator Durbin uh, is pushing a bipartisan bill co-sponsored by the Texas Senator Cornyn on the student debt relief, focusing on uh, trying to make sure that uh, young people who are shouldered with humongous student debt can, following the rules, after a certain period, similar to what people do everywhere, can file for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. You can file for bankruptcy for all kinds of reasons, but not for student debt. Right. Student debt's an interesting one, though, and I think you knew going into it you were borrowing this money. Well, I think I think David that the that the economy has changed a lot. Like the, the rules have, have changed, so folks saw themselves, yeah, taking on this taking on this debt, and then and then jobs disappearing, co-pays increasing on on healthcare deductibles increasing, premiums increasing, jobs that didn't even that that ended their health benefits, like you know the rug was pulled pulled out from from under them i think uh you know folks talk about you know there was kind of a kind of a, a social contract that was understood you'd take out these loans and and you'd be able to you'd be able to pay the back pay them back the jobs would be there and and that's not the case mm-hmm. the build back better bill got mentioned mm-hmm. as well i guess bruce it's your turn so um uh, ex- <laughs> explain the the support for this well, a lot of people like to say, and I do too, that it uh, is the Biden-Harris agenda. And they came into office in January with four plans, the American Rescue Plan, the American Jobs Plan, the American Families Plan, and the Made in America Tax Plan. None of those four was a bill, but uh, they have been transformed into legislation. And now the uh, American Rescue Plan passed first via reconciliation, and the American Jobs Plan is uh, in a in a watered-down version, a part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, yes. and the American Families Plan, and a lot of what was taken out of the uh, bipartisan infrastructure plan, they're now in the Build Back Better Act, which often is referred to as the social programs bill, but it also uh, focuses a great deal on combating climate change. And uh, it started out as a $3.5 trillion bill. Really important to emphasize that that is over 10 years. And if you take it year for year, that would be $350 billion. And currently, we're spending roughly $750 billion a year on defense spending. That's a, a good context to keep in mind. Well, and so I guess a follow-up question for you is the is the Build Back Better plan progressive enough? Well, uh, we have a variety of uh, slogans in the Progressive Caucus, and I already mentioned one, uh, pushing the envelope. And we believe that during the year 2021, uh, there have been some things that have been left on the sidelines, and they constitute for us unfinished business, and we're getting ready to end 2021 with uh, an event in December. Uh, where it's in development right now, focusing on unfinished business of building back better, learning 
uh, and building on our victories and learning from the setbacks of 2021. And we have a, a handful of things that uh, we think are really important to focus on in 2022 that uh, can meet the needs of uh, many U.S. Americans who are not that juiced, I'll put it that way, about what has happened so far. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and they're, uh, they're considering their options in the midterms 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sue, what do you think? Well, I just want to thank Bruce for mentioning the comparison between, uh, you know, the proposed spending under the Build Back Better Act and uh, what we uh, Americans tend to call defense spending, which I'm not sure uh, how much of it is spent in actual defense. Um, I would call it military or some other kind of spending. And I would also say that um we're looking for, you know, in addition to pr- promoting um, the issues uh, and policies that were left out of the Build Back Better Act um, through the negotiation process, uh, we're also interested in uh, in advancing candidates who support um, those kinds of issues and and policies going forward, so that um, so that everyday Americans are have their own their own views and values more accurately reflected in their representation in Washington and in state houses. You mentioned issues and policies left out of Build Back Better. Do you want to speak to some of those specifics? I'd like well, I to think, take... Yeah, Bruce is good for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've been uh, in the caucus uh, this year uh, holding regular Biden-Harris progress reports, and it has been a very enlightening experience for me because all of us, I think, uh, I'll certainly say it for myself, we're more or less aware of what's going on legislatively, but uh, you can go into the weeds, you can go deeper into the weeds, and uh, then you can get lost in news cycles and kind of forget. And uh, with the American Rescue Plan, for example, there was a kind of dramatic push for uh, raising the federal minimum wage to $15, mm-hmm. and that, that did not work. So that's one item. And I'll just mention one other. Uh, with Medicare expansion, we started out uh, the Biden-Harris plan with uh, decreasing the age of eligibility to 60, from 65, with covering uh, hearing, vision, and sight. Uh, and now it's down to only hearing. And hearing dental insight, you mean? You, you said hearing vision insight. So uh, it yes, was to thanks. have covered three things and now it's down to one. Oh, dear. Yeah. Right. Because I didn't mean to those, interrupt your train of thought, though. <laughs> uh, thanks. I, I kind of sensed that something wasn't quite right there. <laughs> those are only two, two examples in there. There are many more also in the climate mitigation uh, realm where just one more would be that uh, there was a clean energy standard that was to be a part of the Build Back Better Act, which is to state it simply uh, a measure trying to get us to phase out coal and transition faster to renewable energy, making big progress by 2030. And uh, that has been left on the sidelines temporarily, too. Mm-hmm. Another one was free free community college, which keep in mind while people are going to college, they still need some way to cover their living expenses. So it's still still requires some capital to go to college even for free. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. Huh. 
You both mentioned uh, healthcare as the reason why you're living in the the countries you're still living in. So, uh, Sue, let me ask you this: When you look out around the world and see progressive ideas outside of the United States, what's what's an example for you that some country is doing and doing really well, and you can't for the life of you fathom why the U.S. doesn't do it? And you can't say healthcare because you already said that. <laughs> okay, well, I've got an easy one here in Canada. We have paid uh, paid parental leave for, mm. for a year uh, at a at a percentage of of you know your earnings, and uh, and and then you go back to your job. And 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 here in Canada, I suppose from time to time someone complains about it, but you know, for the most part, um, it's a it's a it's a. Um, Oh, it builds energy in our economy. I think like people can people can apply for these one year mat leave coverages, so they get they get this great experience. They get exposed to a new new job or a new area of area of uh, experience, and um, and of course the the children in our country are getting getting this start with with a with a a parent at home with them for their first year. There's some income to the family to, to support that. And, and, you know, I, my, my heart breaks when I tell, tell people here in Canada, you know, in the States, a person can take six weeks off and then they, they what they're promised is they can have their job back. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, that's just, um, it's just, it's not fair. And it's how, and it's, and it's part of what, increases the the economic divide in the u.s the wealth inequality that that you know once you're struggling financially you're going to struggle worse and worse and worse right right uh bruce same question to you what's a policy a progressive policy when you look around the world that that some country is doing and doing well but not healthcare? in austria i would say uh collective bargaining is very, very strong. It's alive and kicking. And each year about this time in the fall, there are the, the metal workers and then there are the retail workers and other groups of workers who negotiate uh, for their salary collectively for the, the coming year. And the negotiations uh, are short and uh, they, they work well. There's always uh, some time when there might be 12 to 14 hours of continuous negotiations, but then it's over and there's almost never a strike. And that means that uh, investors who are looking for a secure place to invest their money, they prefer to come to a place uh, like Austria, knowing that there, there isn't going to be that kind of labor controversy that could uh, challenge a, a business uh, thriving. And that kind of collective bargaining also uh, plays out in uh, with health care and family uh, paid leave. And it seems as though the, the, the unions here uh, are working well and that uh, they've never really experienced uh, the kind of corruption that uh, was a part of uh, U.S. labor uh, movements when I was a young person. So mm-hmm. it just seems as though the, that works pretty well here in Austria and in uh, several other Central European countries. And it's something that uh, I think that we could do much better in the United States. You know, it's interesting yeah. that these it's interesting that these are called progressive policies, because I think looking at looking at the world stage, these are these are centrist. These are kind of standard things that developed countries have for their people. They're not progressive. 
of they're 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 just ordinary common sense kind of kind of policies and bruce's point about industry uh, you know and in- investors feeling comfortable with the labor the labor environment in Austria, or you could say, uh, you know, here in Canada, if I'm allowed to mention healthcare, employers know <laughs> that <laughs> employers know that that they're not going to have to negotiate a lot on on healthcare coverage or, or worry mm-hmm. about that. There are there we do have a system here for those outside Canada where um, there is some supplemental insurance needed. We don't have a we don't have a, a toe to toe to tip of the head kind of. Um, uh, program here in Canada, but but the bulk of necessary um, healthcare is covered. So, uh, so in fact, some years ago, I understand American businesses operating in Canada were were supportive of of uh, of changes that would strengthen the the national healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we're called the progressives in the American context, but uh, but outside of that, we're largely we're centrist, which which calls into question what what one would call some of the other parties and movements in the U.S. Absolutely. (laughs) And what if you started calling these centrist policies? (laughs) Right. So you mentioned an event in December. Are there other things, events and activities coming up that you want to mention? We have a tentative uh, event calendar for the next six months. And uh, we're trying to collaborate more with our own Congressional Progressive Caucus and uh, with the schedulers for elected officials in the United States. And uh, we, you know, we talked a while back about issues advocacy and uh, issues that we're focusing on repeatedly. And almost all of those are on our schedule for upcoming events going into 2022. And there's another one that I would like to ask Sue to talk about. Uh, we don't have uh, an event scheduled for it yet, but we have a, all kinds of ideas, a lot of percolation and collaboration with, with others in the DA world. And uh, Sue, uh, I want to just say it and then you describe it. She came up with this great name called uh, Pivotal Primary Project. <laughs> <laughs> the PPP to go with the BBB. Yeah, exactly. the PPP. Yeah, yeah. It, or to take the place of the GPP. Oh. Years. Aha, uh-huh. so tell us. The GPP for being the global uh, presidential primary that DA runs every four years uh, for Americans living overseas to help nominate the Democratic nominee uh, for president. Uh, so, um yeah, the idea of uh, something like a pivotal primaries project would be that um, working working with a coalition of folks uh, in in Democrats abroad that that we would identify primaries that are happening across the U.S. where uh, where there's an opportunity for a change or. Um, stronger uh, candidate to come forward in a swing location. So there's a number of folks who are retiring from their, um, you know, as senator or representative. And so it's kind of a, a open, fresh primary for the for the Democratic nominee um, for those for those positions. So those are those are the kinds of races where we are hoping that um, we can we can excite DA members and perhaps more well, I don't want to say more importantly because we love our DA members. <laughs> but <laughs> how what word can I use to 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 push the envelope? Let us say um, yeah. 
we might we might be able to um, get some attention from folks who aren't yet engaged as voters from overseas. If they you know they realize that there's a primary coming up that could determine uh, who's going to be the representative. So in some places, there are some places that are solid blue districts, right? We know the Democratic nominee is going to win in the general election. Um, so the the deciding vote is really the vote in the primary and not, a, not every voter uh, or American understands that. So, you know, some years ago when um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for instance, won her primary, the night she won the primary, she she and the world knew that she would be a representative in Congress because that's a solidly blue district. And yet um, not all of her constituents were aware that that was the night to decide um, who was going to go to Washington a few months, you know, a few months mm-hmm. later. Right. right. Well. David and Rachel, I want to uh, playfully recruit you as uh, team members just for a moment. We're <laughs> uh, reaching out to everybody in DA right now and saying, Hey, you know, this was the year uh, when after the census uh, results came in that redistricting is going on all over the United States. And the maps in, in many states now are being settled even as we speak. And there are others that still need a little bit more work. And in many states, uh, it's either the democratically led legislature or the Republican led legislature that does that work. Or in other states, it can be uh, a a nonpartisan group that is selected. And it's time for all of us and Democrats abroad to say, you know, I'm not sure that my district is going to be exactly the district it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Mine in Illinois is going to change pretty dramatically. Hmm. We're asking everyone to go to sites like 538 or to Ballotpedia just mm-hmm. to, you know, click around a little bit and learn what the heck is going on with my district so I can get ready for 2022. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 538 has a great map that um, that Bruce uh, shared with me and others where you can see if your new congressional district map is is set or if it's uh, there's if it's proposed and you can take a look at, uh, you know, what what the what the proposed new districts might might look like. It's very interesting. Mm, Good to know. So there, so there will be some new districts, and in those areas, the primary, obviously, you know, for the Democrats, uh, is is going to be very important. It's fresh, fresh start in that district, and uh, so we think it's could be exciting for Americans overseas to know about those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. This has been fascinating. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you haven't mentioned that you would like to. We have a book and film club the last Monday of every month at 12 noon Eastern time and a really great reading list for that. And we sometimes have, we sometimes have the author, um, participate so nice um, highly highly recommend that uh-huh. and we're ho- we're hoping to have a screening of uh, of a uh, film that's part of the student loan justice project um the, quite a few student loans come through a, a organization called sally may which uh we maybe maybe um rachel and david you guys think of that as a government agency as i do but sally may is not a government agency anymore. It's it's a for-profit business. And yeah. so the film is called Sally May Not. 
<laughs> so we, yeah, we'd like to run a screening of that. It's screening at universities um, all across America. And uh, anyone who's listening to the podcast, if they'd like to go to student loan justice uh, online, they can find out information about having a screening of that film or others in the series um, on their campus. So whether you're a student or an alum or a faculty member or know somebody at a school um, that's happening Right now, those screenings are rolling out there's, um, at universities across across the U.S. to raise awareness and build momentum for uh, for the movement for student loan justice. They have a petition that has over a million signatures on it. And wow. uh, in our Progressive Caucus, we're fortunate to have um, Heather Taylor as part of our team, and she's the um, international chapter lead for um, student loan justice. Fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Lots going on. Yep. We have and we'll time con- for just one more quick one. Sure. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> this is uh, going back to legislative stuff. And uh, there's an HR 40 bill uh, that is uh, one that is dedicated to forming a reparations task force commission in the United States. And it is just 10 votes short. And it could come to a full house vote in December of this year. Wow. And, uh, our reparations task force people are, are working hard to support with 300 organizations and uh, there are people from all over the spectrum of uh, reparations justice uh, if you think about it it involves a, a wide spectrum of peoples in the united states and uh, that, that's something that is i think uh, important to watch and something that could happen in december along with a New Jersey bill that has passed the assembly. It's in the Senate. And it would give us the right in 17 states when we re-register each year, we're asked, are you staying for a while? Are you coming back? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And that, uh, that uh, decides whether or not you get to vote in state and lo- local elections in many states. My return is uncertain. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> We, there's a, a team of people working really hard in the New Jersey state team to help pass that. Some people went to New Jersey to uh, uh, speak in favor of it uh, this week. And uh, if it passes there, it can become a model in 17 states where that is a problem. And it could be a big get out the vote victory for us Democrats abroad. Wow. I guess I'll just throw I'll just throw in. I think we're running out of time, but the one of the reasons why the reparations, uh, the House bill for, for reparations uh, commission is really important to the Progressive Caucus is that um, some some of the remedies that might come out of uh, the work of a commission like that could very easily be the agenda of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. There's there's a lot of different ways of of having restorative justice for uh, for the systemic and structural racism that has um, hurt and killed so many people in America. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one approach or part of a part of a solution um, is the kind of policies that, that level the playing field, give, give people a fair chance and provide the kinds of, the kinds of um, services and, and supports and rights that you can see reflected in the agenda of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Interesting. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. 
And um, yeah, keep on doing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? There is one thing I realized I wanted to share that the membership of Democrats abroad aligns, generally speaking, very strongly with the policy objectives and perspective of of the Progressive Caucus and the Congressional Progressive Caucus based on based on our voter turnout for the last two global presidential primaries. So the Progressive Caucus, you know, in a sense, um, part of our role is to represent DA externally so that um, Americans living abroad who don't understand how progressive DA tends to be um, can recognize, oh, there's a place for me when they see, oh, there's this thing called the Progressive Caucus. That must be the progressives. It's really interesting, and it makes me want to ask whether you think how, whether you think that's related to the fact that DA's membership lives outside the U.S. I would think it does. What do you think, Bruce? When I answer questions like that, I always say there are many factors. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a politician or, or a, a professor. Professor, oh. professor. <laughs> but uh, what's what uh, you just implied, I think, is certainly the case. And uh, I think uh, it is also entertaining to think about uh, what Sue and I and, and what you might say about why why you are where you are. And uh, that's probably linked to some desire that we have been motivated to broaden our horizons and uh, look to see uh, where things are, are working well and to try to benefit from those from our, for ourselves, but also for the people in our communities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a reason why I imagine that uh, that you are uh, hosting this podcast. <laughs> well, that would be telling. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel never tells. <laughs> she just implies. <laughs> Sounds like a reasonable reputation to me. <laughs> I'm Rachel Oyster with David Sheldenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe.